Welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. Look, uh, for those of you who are new to what we do here, this is a podcast where we talk about the latest episodes of Ted Lasso. We break down what happens on the pitch, off the pitch. We get into a little bit of trivia. We talk about the main themes. And uh, then we also crown a winner-winner football dinner because, you know, what? it's a game. It's a sport. Even though Ted Lasso's a show, we like to get involved. We get stuck in here. So, you know, this is what we do. You did say it's where sports and art combine, you know. That's really where it goes. Mm-hmm. Today, we're covering the second episode of season three, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea. This is a very special episode for the three of us because, well, we are all Chelsea fans, a little obviously. Uh, You know, that whole Chelsea podcast thing we do. So, uh, big crossover here. Uh, Obviously, we're going to touch on Chelsea, Ted Lasso, and great comedy, as you might expect. We hope you don't mind if we, well, quite frankly, overindulge a bit today. And if you wouldn't mind overindulging in social media with us at Pod Underdogs, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, whatever your vehicle of choice is, we uh, we hope to continue the conversation. It's really picked up over the last uh, week with the episodes being out, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've even included some listener questions in this one, so uh, very excited to uh, to do more engagement in the show. Absolutely. So you know how we kick these things off. The three-word match review. So we continue the journey into season three with... Three-word episode review, Brandon. That's true. See, the crossover is real. I put unsettling season three. I'm I'm waiting for anything to go right, anything to smooth itself out. Maybe a glimpse at the end, but gentlemen, this is a very unsettled feeling yet again. I'm a little worried where season three is going. Dan, what about you? Negotiation tactics? Stalling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> super annoying how good that was because I kept trying to write one, and every time I got two words in, I realized you'd already used a reference of mine, so... Yeah, it's not like a reference of yours. It's just a reference well, to something that happened. I mean, it in the was. Episode. It was my mind. It was my reference. You stole it. Stop so. being in his brain is what he's saying, Dan. Get get to the script first, then. Three word <laughs> episode review blockers. Uh, Nick, what about you? Confronting your insecurities. Uh, very obvious in this one that that is the journey that many of our friends are on. Yeah, no, no, thank you. But we're going to push through and try to do it. Uh, And we're going to kick it off with On the Pitch, a.k.a. the football stuff, as we always do. So as Ted begins his day by bringing biscuits to Rebecca, we find a familiar scene. Rebecca, Keely, and Higgins are all there together, just like old times. But we also get the return of Trent Krim. Trent. Dun, dun, dun. Who is there on business. He's writing a book about Richmond and needs permission to access the team coaches and essentially the facilities anywhere he goes i don't know i mean i guess it was kind of obvious what ted was going to do nick but like with the scene it was fun to watch but i was like i mean he's gonna play ball he's he's gonna play ball of course he is be a team player and then he didn't he just flipped the script they're they're all doing like the please dear god don't say yes to this and they were kind of like passing the decision to them to ted so they didn't have to say it and, you know, look, that that is Ted. Ted's going to zig where everyone else zags. And if he thinks that there's an actual story to be told and one that can help people, he's going to do it. And he trusts Trent, you know. And so that's a it's kind of a neat little wrinkle there. But it's a very funny start to the episode. Not only that, but uh, we get a little bit of the excitement, Dan, the thrill 
because it is the transfer window. And if you want the most ridiculous mm. time of the year, enjoy the transfer window. So it's like if the NFL free agency was actually exciting because <laughs> NFL free agency is dumb. Most sports open signing periods are dumb. Football, international football, European football is probably the one that feels like it drags on forever because you're only allowed to sign people in two periods of the year during the summer after the league seasons have ended. And then once again in January for the month, uh, depending on if the calendar can flex a little bit forward and backward. But this is the only time that you can go buy or secure other players, register them into your team and get your squad equipped. And we talked about this in the prior episodes as being a championship side, going back up to the Premier League to avoid relegation. We know that AFC Richmond would need to add players to their squad. And so it's not surprising, Nick, that this storyline popped up so quickly because, because this team is going to need some other either attacking talent to push them forward, to allow them to excel, to allow them to stay up in the Premier League. It's, it's not about beating West Ham. It's about staying up is the real goal for this team, even though Ted Sun would like him to win the Premier League. That, that is a, a much longer shot. Yeah, it's it's called silly season to those of us who are indoctrinated and for that exact reason that Dan just said. Uh, and it's the first transfer window that we get to see in the show, which is kind of fun. Uh, you know, we've we've kind of seen it before where, where the team got Jamie last year on a free transfer when he was kind of cut and out of football and they were able to pick him up. But this is like, you know, big, you know, moment for them. And so they're going to go after a star. And Brandon, who is that star? Zaba, who, for those of you who pay attention to football, happens <laughs> to look a lot and act a lot alike one Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's almost as if they modeled the character after him exactly. Pretty clear in that one. <laughs> So anyways, the, the brain trust has a nice little debate about getting Zava because he was released or he's leaving Juventus, who are an Italian, you know, historically powerful team. And he wants a new challenge, uh, obviously going to be playing Chelsea. They assume he's going to Chelsea, but they're like, we got to throw our hat in the ring because, again, Rebecca is obsessed with this Rupert situation. And so the back and forth goes, Keely, if we got Zava, that would be amazing. He'd be huge for the club's brand. He got like 90 million followers. One time he just posted the word 7 million <laughs> likes and it got 10 million likes. That's just the commercial influence that these big players come with these mm -hmm. times. Uh, Rebecca's worried because he's expensive. Uh, and he's a diva. Hagen says that Zava's played for 14 teams in 15 years, leaving behind nothing but chaos and trophies. Why is that an important phrase, Dan? Yeah, Dan, tell us. Pretty sure that's a London is Blue podcast exclusive statement. But is it on a t-shirt that we've sold? Indeed. It would be on a t-shirt. Yes, it's true. does predate the show. does predate the writer's room, that's for sure. I would... I would like to think that while that's not unique to us, that we definitely put it out there quite a bit. And maybe when they're doing research about Chelsea, um, we maybe entered the conversation, which is kind of cool. But so anyways, remember, Nick. Richmond have not won a trophy in their entire history. So th this is like when, when Higgins goes beautiful, shiny trophies and he's like daydreaming like that for, for a Richmond fan, like that is the goal to get one trophy. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is so we, we mentioned 
Zlatan. So Zlatan is is a very self-absorbed player. And uh, so I, I think maybe just, yeah. Very, yeah. you know, just a couple of quick quotes from him. A World Cup without Zlatan is not worth watching. Uh, World Cup. Big <laughs> <laughs> um, use of the third person guy. Old Zlatan. Loves a third person yeah. reference. Arsene yeah. Wenger asked me to have a trial with Arsenal when I was 17. I turned it down. Zlatan does not do auditions. Auditions like that. <laughs> like if this is the you know caricature that they're basing the Zava character off of, you're gonna likely see someone who is uh, very mercurial and uh, very uh, egoist in his approach. Yeah, 14 teams in 15 years doesn't usually kind of lend to being a good uh, team player in that in that regards um rebecca's you know saying who wants to deal with the drama higgins says well everyone who can afford him chelsea arsenal united and west ham so of course trent crim quite funny here nick because again i don't really wasn't ready to see what kind of trent crim we're gonna get and mm-hmm. i think this really shined the light right away on on where he's gonna play this season yeah he said so am i to assume that you're going to pursue a notoriously mercurial player you really can't afford simply because your team, the team your ex-husband owns wants him and the brain trust is now doing like that. Don't say yes. Don't say yes. Don't say yes. And Rebecca just looks at him dead faced and says, yes. And then Trent says, love that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, he's kind of a part of the team already, right? He's kind of being embedded in as a big decision straight away after he's been brought in. And so he's getting to see the team be honest. And you know that he values honesty because of his, relationship with ted right that's a big part of it yeah no it really is so again uh fun opening scene love the shenanigans in rebecca's office um you get to see a lot of the player characters play off each other and it is fun uh but after that you know it's uh the whole little bit of keely roy in the hallway awkwardness and uh who knew isaac was such such a body language reader, Dan. I had no idea he had that in his skill set. Bit of a hard man. So for him to be so connected to body posture and emotions was really <laughs> quite impressive. Well, I mean, he's a defender. You know, he's a central defender. He, you know, he has to be able to read the slightest of body movements to understand the way the attacker is going to try to approach and fend them off. So it's no surprised that he's able to apply that same perspective to the body movements of Roy and Keeley and to understand that they are in fact breaking up, which he then clues Jamie in on. And then, you know, Jamie gets an opportunity, Nick, to head into the boot room or the, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, some funny conversations have happened in the show before and we get another funny one. I honestly... I laughed out loud as this happened that because these two on screen together are my favorite. They are so ridiculous and over the top and in each other's face that it's, it's just absolute magic to me. But Jamie goes in and says, you know, after, after kind of talking about it, you know, telling Roy that he knows they broke up said, no, I was just trying to see if you were okay, man, you dickhead. And then Roy says, what the fuck are you doing? And Jamie went in for the hug and Jamie's like, I was just going to hug you. And then Roy says, you came at me too fast, <laughs> which is hilarious because they've hugged before they know. And then Jamie says, Jesus, sorry, I forgot how skittish elderly people could be because of the war. 
come on, man. I was just trying to comfort you. Roy says, I don't want comfort. And I told you, I don't want to talk about it. So don't say a fucking word to anyone. And James, uh, Jamie says, fine, I won't say a word. And then they point over just as they did in last season. And Will is in the corner again. Kitman Will. And he's like, Will, you don't say a fucking word either. And then I think Will steals the show here. He's like his little nervous energy he says, uh, no, I won't. I actually just went through a breakup myself so I can somewhat relate. Maybe we should go out sometime, just the three of us, you know, get a couple of drinks, a couple of pints, a couple of shots. Fish bowls. <laughs> it just is. Single guys club. <laughs> just brilliant. I, look, I love this. If episode. I were single, I'd hang out with Will. I'd be in his fishbowl club. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm in. He's got me sold. Uh, but me. back in the coach's office, Ted is reading a soccer tactics book. Beard is more than a little puzzled. He's borderline concerned. <laughs> Ted is trying, but he's not yet comprehending. However, this leads Ted to ask for Beard's advice about another risky signing, uh, a la Jamie in season two. This time it's Zava. Beard explains that Zava is a living legend, but showing a video of Zava headbutting an armed thief at a supermarket. You're going to get a lot from this guy. That's the way in. That's the goofiest way I've ever seen a character introduced. I mean, I would expect nothing less from them. Uh, but after some discussion about how 11 on 11 or 11 11 wishes work, funny, uh, both coaches hear the locker room up in arms. Isaac has been spreading the word about Roy and Keeley's breakup, but the coaches think the news is about something else and it is just chaos immediately. Um, I, Dan, I mean, again, Zoro getting in right away, asking <laughs> why would Zava write a book about Trent Krim? Because it, like the way Ted entered uh. the situation, it just immediately crumbled. Moment one. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause then you get the, okay, well, if you didn't know about that, which isn't happening and you didn't know about, uh, Trent Krim, which is happening. This leads to the, like, what are you all worked up about? And that's when Jan Moss, in uh, traditional Dutch fashion, just drops the Roy and Keeley broke up, which sends Lasso for a very great body fate move. This is clearly the SNL pedigree mm. uh, coming into effect here, where Sudeikis does the feigns uh, an inability to stay on his feet and uh, has to recomport himself uh, a few moments later. Beard's little screech, too. It's so good. He, he does that all episodes. Absolutely wonderful. And then, of course, because of the show and the way they construct the show, Brandon, Roy walks in. And he walks into the situation that has to be his worst nightmare. Uh, he's already on edge uh, because of the breakup. But now the whole team <laughs> is talking about his situation. And Ted goes, Roy, do you want to talk about it? Roy says, no, I'm not talking about me and Keeley. Ted says, no, I meant Zava. Do you want to talk about it? Roy alludes, sure, he's nuts, but he'll help us win games, whatever. And then Ted says, that time I was actually talking about you and Keeley. And Roy just says, for fuck's sake. I, I mean, again, this absolute chaos in this locker room scene, I enjoyed every moment of it, especially with, Ted tricking him, sneaking up on him with the Roy and Keeley thing. But it was just absolutely like so much. Um, you like, you couldn't, the second you started to grasp it, it was gone. The moment was gone. There was a new one. And it was just, it was great. It was really good. It's at this point, though, that we learn two critical details. Ted has a breakup mix CD burned recently. Well, 
maybe. Why else would he have it? He's been he was with his wife forever. Maybe he's like, from high school. You know, I feel like he keeps something like that. I don't know. But then Beard has keys to his apartment, and is maybe because of Ted's panic attack. So again, like like things that seem just like fleeting actually probably go deeper. And again, it's just like the the incredible writing of the show. Um, and uh, the mix is real, Nick. It like this this of course it's real. Apple Music. I mean, the the minute the minute you heard them say, you know they they had the playlist ready on Apple Music, and the if you go to Apple Music, the cover art is brilliant. It's a heart shaped biscuit that's been split down the middle with crumbs all over the place, called Ted's Breakup Mix. Absolutely fantastic. Some really wonderful songs in here too. There's uh, a little uh, Lauren Hill. Uh, there's a little joy division. There's there's a bunch of really good stuff in here. So uh, I would encourage everyone to go listen to it. Yeah, how was especially it, if you've just uh, had to suffer a breakup. You know, that's yeah. probably the uh, the real kind of uh, thing. There is the the show's not just doing uh, you know putting you through the paces in terms of making sure that you are emotionally stricken throughout the episodes, but uh, it's there to comfort you at the end of it. There's a trivia question about the playlist, so just know that. So the next layer of the onion that we unpeel, uh, Higgins walks in with Trent, you know, essentially <laughs> give me a tour, introduce him to the team, and Roy goes, Oi, listen up, no one says a fucking word around this prick unless they want my forehead through their fucking skull. And then Ted says, uh, but until then, welcome Trent, you know, trying to keep <laughs> it light and everything, because he was the one who kind of greenlit this. And good old Danny says, woo, and then everyone shushes him, and he goes, I mean, fuck off, in his accent here, Trent Queen. <laughs> it's beautiful. This is another laugh out loud thing of this episode. This is one of the funnier episodes of Ted Lasso. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, you didn't see it coming from Danny, but here we are. Just yeah. wonderful. Nailed it. My wife definitely laughed when he said that, too, with his accent. Um, but anyways, you jump back to the boardroom. Uh, Higgins has to bear the bad news, Dan, that Zava does not want to come to Richmond. Well, are we really surprised? I mean, we're we not. really surprised that a recently promoted team cannot attract a player. So players coming from Juventus, which uh, if you want a little fun reading, go out and look at what's happened to Juventus the past couple seasons because mm-hmm. they have gone from being uh, one of the perennial greats to being um, investigated for a lot of uh, financial improprieties. It's called and fraud, Dan. But yeah, it is called fraud. <laughs> but you know, that's uh, has that fully been proven in court yet? We don't no. know. Alleged um, fraud. <laughs> alleged fraud. So it's very likely that a Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, West Ham, potentially, those are the clubs that are likely going to attract players who are going from league to league to collect trophies because those are the teams perennially that are in competitions, fighting for trophies up until the end of the season. And so it is unlikely that yeah, this this tracks. This tracks that when Higgins says his people said it would be a waste of our time for us and an embarrassment for him, that sounds right. That sounds accurate. Yeah. I Look, there are levels to this game, and they need to level up. Um, I don't know. It, it, like Again, I think the back and forth – the jinxing, the don't say, don't you, uh, you said it, yeah, you, know, you you said it. It's like you did it again. Just kind of in sports, man. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it, it's because sports are so, um, you know, down to you know these uh, 
superstitions and like bad lucks and things like even like sanity doesn't really prevail with it which always makes it funny like a normal business you would never think this but in football or sports or soccer this is totally real so uh anyways we're gonna take a quick ad break thanks to sponsors we get back uh jumping into rebecca uh and see where we go from there so we'll be right back all right, Rebecca is back in the bad place, unfortunately, but Trent is in a worse place. We see a montage of everyone ignoring him as he walks around the facility because of Roy's instructions. After a very humorous and awkward locker room moment, Trent heads to his new office. That, he's kidding you not, sharing with Roy Nick. They are office mates. Well, if you didn't see that coming after all of the shared office stuff from season two, then... Uh, I got nothing for you, but it's very, uh, it's very uh, tense in there. They obviously, you know, Roy does not like Trent as he has expressed out loud to his face multiple times. Uh, and then, you know, it's it's funny because like all that anger is is kind of channeled differently when Roy looks at his desk and he has a bunch of cards and flowers from a, what we think are a bunch of lady suitors who are who have learned of this breakup over the period of just like three hours basically and i thought it was I'm ted s- like flowering him with like oh i'm so sorry was i thought it was a I, lot I thought, I thought it, it could be either thing. i could just yeah. see ted being this and like oh i'm so sorry for your loss <laughs> yeah i don't know it, it it was uh it was a lot for him to take in but uh obviously uh you know that is kind of the end of that little shenanigans piece because then we get to have our nerd moment uh brandon and that is uh, that Richmond get to go play uh, our football club, Chelsea Football Club, and we get to go see uh, the hallowed ground of Stanford Bridge, which you know definitely my spiritual home. I'm assuming it's yours as well. Uh, and we get to see Richmond play Chelsea in the season opener. Uh, we haven't seen Chelsea in the first uh, two seasons of the show. We saw Man City a couple of times and stuff like that, but we haven't seen uh, Chelsea. And so this was really, really cool uh, to get to to see and there were a bunch of rumors last year that they had recorded at Stanford Bridge at some point and uh now we could see what it was all about. Yeah, yeah. It got leaked a little bit that that they were at the bridge, which is fun. Um but you know we we get to yeah, like I said, worlds colliding so heavily on this one. But I mean we we kind of knew, right? Like this was one of the things that happened at the very tail end of last season where the announcement of a Premier League partnership with Ted Lasso got announced before the final episode. And so it very clearly put on the path that that uh, that Richmond were going back into the Premier League this season because there was a licensing right for all of these teams. And so Chelsea is just the first one that we've seen now live action with. We've obviously seen West Ham from a training perspective. And obviously, I imagine Nate will see a lot more West Ham in particular. Uh, but I, you're, you're not going to see, likely, a lot of real players because of when this was filming you know these are these are these things were filming you know at the very early part of last year um to get that type of video for a kind of a production that's dropping now it's not like they filmed it during the world cup you know it was a sunny day in london uh when they filmed that there's not a lot of time in the year that you can nail that and get the perfect type of filming condition a hundred percent um so as we look at it uh we also get a flashback to the pub because 
May, Baz, Paul, yes. and Jeremy are there, and Richmond are away. So I don't think it matters. They'd be there anyways. Uh, but you get to see him hanging out. And since they're in the Premier League, Paul brings fancy top hats <laughs> for the guys to wear and says, it's good to be back. And that is just meta commentary for us watching them in the pub. I fucking love the pub, guys. It's amazing. And it's fun because, like, they're in the Premier League. It's fancy, you know? It's it's the top league. But uh, after the match, Rebecca and Keeley begin to chat about work for Higgins interrupts the news about Zava. However, it comes from Higgins' wife's friends, uh, private jet stewardess slash masseuse. Not super reliable, but, you know, Higgins has to chase down everything he can get because Rebecca said she wants to sign him, at least be in the race for him. Um, and then we get uh, uh, the sentimental heartstrings, Nick, where we see Stanford Bridge, um, all the familiarities he sees as, as a steward. He knows uh, the fans start to recognize him, but they know he's going to be there. Uh, and uh, it becomes... Um, as emotional as Roy would let it, you know, he's suppressing a lot. You can tell it's special to him, right? You, and, and I think, you know, I was uh, was looking at Twitter today and as I was putting the script together and Mike Golick Jr. Um, of ESPN and I think now Meadowlark fame um, said that of all the re- pseudo-realistic things that Ted Lasso has done in sports, this is the, the, the number one thing that they've done, which is basically like every player has their favorite member of the the broader stadium staff right and so this was roy going up to a guy that he knew for a really long time and saying like man like what's going on and it was just so funny because the steward uh who we find out is bruce uh says uh he's basically doing meta commentary on their relationship and, and like fan service because Bruce says, hello, Roy, welcome back. Roy says, how you doing? Heard, and then Bruce says, I heard the news. And Roy goes, I broke up with her. And Bruce then hits him with the why. I mean, you guys were like perfect together. And then Roy hits him with a fucking Bruce. Like, it's just a brilliant little bit of, of commentary because it's Roy's not escaping it. It's everywhere. Like, everyone feels this way about his uh, his past relationship with Keeley. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. Fucking Bruce. Yeah. And uh, he gets the song, right? They sing They sing a song, which we've heard before, because Richmond fans have barred it. And uh, look, he's former captain, won the Champions League there. Like, he's a big-time player in their fictional history, right? And it's fiction. Like, let's not get too tied up in what this actually means. Uh, and then the crossover to real life, is it's really interesting, but... Long story short, there's a banner for Chelsea's former player. His name's Ray Wilkins. Well, they changed... Legend. Legendary player for, of the game. Thank God we get to call him one of our own. But they changed it to Roy. And there was a little bit of, like, you know, the traditional fans were upset. But it's because they're defending the history and the legacy of Ray. But again, like, I think there's a lot of misdirection, Nick, here. And it really was just a fictional TV production and it, it was a it was a cute thing like the the real sign in the stadium says they don't make him like Ray anymore right and that's like a, a it's a sign that they replace very often and there's a picture of Ray on the sign and stuff like that and they basically just dubbed over the A and made it an O and so the the sign in the show says they don't make him like Roy anymore the fans blew up you know there are a bunch of calls for you know Chelsea's ownership to apologize and all this sort of stuff but 
uh, Ray has sadly passed away and, and we were actually there, um, the day that, that happened. And so he, it's kind of a special thing to us too. And, uh, his son put out a statement today saying all, this is a TV show and certainly has nothing to do with the new ownership. From our perspective, the only thing that matters is the actual banner in the stadium where dad gave so much for the club. Thanks all for the support and for, you know, the, the ownership support too. So it ended up not being a big deal. And we're just kind of calling this out as like the show has become so real to people that they saw something that felt familiar that wasn't quite right. And I think jumped on it and, and understandably so like there's a lot of emotion in football, like that is what it is. So we just wanted to share that as Chelsea fans, that that was a, it was a particularly weird week for us watching this show. Yeah. And, and again, I thought it was funny because the owners of Chelsea even went on to clarify, um, those weren't the real Chelsea players either, just in case anyone was concerned. It's like, this is fiction, but people are tribalistic. We're fans. That's what you do. You protect what you love. But I think th- this will not be the last time mm. this season that something is changed from a production production company producing the show, um, which, which I think is, is where the appropriate feedback should land. Um, and all of this is like that is the group of individuals who have to find and strike the appropriate balance for like letting people know that they're going to make these changes. And there's a huge culture around the banners and the TIFOs and the demonstrations and the recognition of former players that go up. A lot of that is not produced by the clubs. It's produced by fans and supporters. And so there's just it is a very touchy subject. It's something that got I think way too blown out of proportion way too quickly because once there were two tweets that answered all the questions that people needed to have, it completely got silent again. And the most important thing is just focusing on how cool Ray Wilkins was in Chelsea's history. And hopefully at the end of this, more people have learned about him who have come to Chelsea lately and uh, were not around, uh, you know, in the seventies when he was playing or in the, the early aughts when uh, he returned to Chelsea from like a managerial perspective. So Go read about him. He was the fucking best. All right. Well, back to the fake action of the game. Uh, the crowd turns from applauding Roy to getting really excited about something else. And, well, it turns out it was Zava in the box. Uh, again, he was rumored to be signing for Chelsea after the game. Big deal. Even players were stunned. Danny says, Jamie. Jamie's like, what? He said, it's Zava. So what, man? He goes, my heart is racing. I haven't been this nervous to play in front of someone since I was in El Chapo's youth league. <laughs> This wow. this this line oh, probably man. flew over people's heads, but when I heard it the first time, I nearly spit out my water. Like I was dying. I couldn't even believe that they went there. <laughs> and I'm glad they did. Uh, after that, the game kicks off. Um, yada yada, back and forth. Chelsea score right before halftime. Mesa sends sums up the mood. Take off those fucking hats. They're bad luck. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Top hats. Yeah. Uh, but right as halftime begins, we get a little more insight as to why Rebecca is so sure Rupert is going to sign with Zava. He made her feel special. We know that's kind of his skill. You know, he's doing it with Nate. Uh, bought him the car. And uh, mm-hmm. we got a little insight, Dan, into their initial courtship, something I thought we'd never know about. Well, just the fact that Rupert is relentless, I think, is what we learned about, that he will slow play and wear someone down with his charm to be able to get what he's after in the end. And we see a lot of things come quickly for Rupert during the show, but uh, this is the first time we learned about a very 
six week period of courtship where he eventually got Rebecca to say yes and go out on a date. And even though you know, he's married, yeah, even though he and was she married, knew. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tough, tough run, unfortunately, but you know, he's putting the charm offensive, uh, charm offensive on Zava. We'll have to see how that rocks out, but the locker room Back to Richmond is tense. Not because the team is down. It's because Roy's beef with Trent. You know, the players are talking. Jamie stands up. He's going to give feedback. And then Krim walks in and they all go quiet. And Ted's just like, you you got to take care of this. And so, hey, where else would you huddle up, Nick, in that tiny-ass locker room? <laughs> we, we've been in that locker room before. It is exactly that small. Um so, so uh, you know, Ted is made mention of a Hallmark Christmas movie. Roy kind of saunters in with a smile on his face, and then and Ted gets serious with him straight away. He says, "Hey, look, man, I don't know what your beef is with Trent, but I'm going to need you to go order off the vegan menu right now and squash it because your ego is about to sabotage a lot more than a silly football match." You feel me? And then Roy got really serious and just kind of nodded. And then Ted went on a little rant about Hallmark Christmas movies, which I will not uh, redo for you because it was perfect the way that he did it. And I totally agree with his sentiment. Um, but I think it's in this moment, Dan, where you see, even though Roy is the hard man, even though he has controlled this weird little narrative so far in this episode, when push comes to shove, he really respects Ted and doesn't put up a fight when he's asking him to do something for the team. He respects the hierarchy. He respects the chain of command. And this is a, as much as, you know, you've been goofy and sometimes you have your funny Americanisms and educates him on what a Hallmark Christmas movie is, which is a delight, um, that he has to go get this done. And I think the scene where he opens up the, like goes into his bag, opens up the wallet and pulls out a Paper clipping. This is this is Roy to a T. It would not be <laughs> something that was, you know, written down secondhand digital, or no. digital. It is the exact clipping from the paper of young Trent Crim's uh, criticism of Roy Kent and uh, how he maybe played or didn't play well in uh, a first outing for Chelsea, which was, you know. Uh, Look, the, the football press in England is not kind, and this was Trent Krim, uh, a, a much less kind version of him than where he is today. Here's how you know this this show is fake. There's no way that paper clipping lasts 20 years in a wallet. There's just not a chance. That thing would be disintegrated dust by now. Um, so just a quick note about that. You don't know if it went back into the same wallet. You know, Come on. I'm sure, I'm sure Roy has replaced his wallet at least once within that fictional 20 years. Credit cards fade in a wallet. Give me a break. All right. Well, uh, Anywho. yeah, what I would say, um, you know, is is they they do it. You know, he was 17 at the time. He and he was so vulnerable in that moment. But he, he just let it go because he knew there was something bigger at at hand. And then Jamie gets in. Um, he's leading the team, saying, "Look, they're giving you space. Take it." Again, we're just seeing um, the the new Jamie that we're not used to seeing. Obviously, um, especially of those bit of a leader. Yeah, yeah. And the players are listening to him, and he's being un, he's being you know 
unselfish versus, you know, the the young, immature Jimmy that we used to get to see. And him and Sam are even, you know, connecting when they used to be, you know, Jamie's like, we're not on the same level. We're not peers. Um, and but the the best scene ever here. We cut back to Rebecca in the stadium. A lot going on in the stadium. You know, there's it's a big one. There's a lot of things going on. Longest um, halftime we've ever seen. Yeah. You know, she, uh, Rebecca gets the courage. She's like, you know, what? I'm going to go talk to Zava. I'm going to make my play. I'm going to do my thing as an owner and improve my team. And she tries to talk to him, gets denied by the security guards. Then Rupert comes in and he just mind twists her, like just super evil that he's done before. Um, and, uh, and then Zava does come out, and of course Rupert takes the lead, Nick, and and just you know takes the upper hand away from her and any leverage. Yeah, he's he's been brutal to her before. This was this was about as tough as it gets. Uh, Rupert says, "Let me introduce Rebecca Welton, my ex-wife and the owner of AFC Richmond." Zava says, "Yes, of course. It's an honor for you to meet me." And then he uh, winks at Rupert and says, "See you soon." Rupert says, "Can't wait." Rebecca then kind of gives it back to Rupert a little bit. He will look so great in Clarendon Blue. But, um, you know, Rupert, I was a little surprised when you bought West Ham. I always thought that Richmond was your one true love. Rupert says, oh, I guess I'm just like any man. I just get bored with the same old, same old. Good luck with the season. Walks away. And Dan will note, as he walks away, his uh, his jacket does a very Darth Vader-y sort of a uh, little float oh at the end. Oh my god! Well, this, this, so the thing is, though, I mean, he has to be more Emperor Palpatine. Like, just for being realistic about it, because Nate is the light side turned dark side, and he is the Darth Vader here, and so he true. has to have the opportunity to turn back at the end. Palpatine to Rupert. That is what's happening here. But it is very dark. It is very Sith Lord that he yes. is. Uh, he's engaged in. Yeah, it's there. It's it's all there, which uh, you know, was is it's too obvious. Once you say it at the beginning, it's too obvious to ignore at this point. Um, but Rebecca, again, she she's having these internal struggles about who she wants to be, how she wants to approach things, where she wants to do with things, and she finally just has enough. Um, and she takes her rage out pretty much on Zava directly in the bathroom. And it was awesome because she called him out for all of his like false confidences and like arrogances he put out there says you're such a fucking chicken shit i mean if you were great truly great you could play anywhere but instead you choose a club like west ham because it's big and shiny and you know that they'll win whether you're there or not and you'll never have to wonder if you're still as good as you tell everyone you are but you and i know that you're not you're overrated you're overpaid and you eat too much asparagus. <laughs> and she plays the ego. She's like, you, do you want to know if you really are as good as you say you are? You're not going to find out by going to Chelsea, West Ham, United, Arsenal. She's like, you come here. You you will make an impact if you come to Richmond. And it, she's 100% correct. Uh, she, Don't play the game. Play the man. As, as Nora would say, boss ass bitch. 100%. I got hyped. There you go. Hyped. Uh, so Richmond come out in the second half and score thanks to the new tactics. Uh, and it went off of Danny's face, which is great. 
Uh, and he hopes that Zavas saw again. Uh, even the players are thrilled by him. Uh, Jamie's not happy. It's a great result for the underdogs, though. Uh, and the fireworks come. Um, he sit, Zava goes to the press conference at Chelsea, decides not to sign, takes the pen, and instead announces he's going to sign with Richmond. And everybody has to do a double take because wait, what? Rupert especially had to do a double take because he was pretty sure. That uh, that he had convinced him to go to West Ham and not Chelsea, and that he had kind of framed Chelsea with this little fake opportunity, and and uh, yeah, that that did not go well. We don't see Rupert lose too often, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Pub goes wild. Jamie's concerned, which again, you you would have thought he would maybe been more excited for this. So we'll have to see who that plays. It's um, the football fans. We asked, put some questions, said, hey. We got questions for us, Nick, and uh, we want to know who is Zava. You know, that guy, I feel like I know this guy. We, yeah, we, we said this earlier, but he is the embodiment of everything that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is. Uh, Zlatan, again, go look him up. Most ridiculous caricature of a person that you'll ever see in sports. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but we do have a couple of questions and, and shouts from Luke Schaefer's uh, about my tactical call out from, from episode one. Uh, from the uh, Stitchman, AFC Stitchman, who do you think Jamie and Zava's, or what do you think Jamie and Zava's dynamic will be given that they play the same football position? Do you think that Jamie will go back to being a prick or do you think he'll help Zava in the same way that Ted helped Jamie? Dan, what what do you think? Oof. The individual with an ability to change the hearts and minds of everyone around him versus one of the most stubborn egos that is being projected in the game. This is very challenging because it's not like he's going up against an experienced manager of Mourinho or Ancelotti or Guardiola, whereas, you know, the Zava Zlatan character would at least have some respect for the individual. It feels like there will probably be a lot of disrespect in the very near future for whatever they're trying to do on the pitch, because it's going to basically be me ball, get the ball to me and I will win the game. (laughs) So everyone is going to, to struggle. I think there's going to be the challenge of the forward players being a little upset. Uh, Seemingly Danny though loves him. So maybe he has a a higher, higher bar to be upset. Whereas, uh, you know, I think winning, uh, it fixes a lot of problems, but I don't think it will for Jamie. Hmm. Uh, I, I think uh, the, the show has kind of given you a little hint about where it's going because the next episode is entitled 451. Uh, as you'll remember from episode one, the team play in a 442 formation, but with this new striker coming in, I think a lot of players are going to have to figure out new roles in the team. And I think that Danny. My prediction is that Danny will be the one sacrificed uh, in the in the formational setup. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, and also, right at, right at the end there, we learned that Jane, a.k.a. Beard's girlfriend, is threatened by Ted. Not a big fan, so they can't get together after the game. Uh, we get a real moment of insight about Roy tells the story of leaving Chelsea and wishes that maybe he would have stayed and enjoyed his last couple years. A little bit of regret there in his career. Um. And when Roy opens up, I mean, it's it it means more, I think, because it happens so infrequently. Uh, but he just says that it was the first time I ever. Th- that was the first time ever I thought 
I can't keep up anymore. I'm not good enough. And that was all I could think about for the rest of the year. I knew it was only going to get worse. So at the end of the season, I left. Everyone was shocked. The club was shocked. The fans, the press. Yeah, I didn't want to be one of them broken down footballers just taking up space until they're dropped years after they should have been. And Ted tries to comfort him, says, well, a lot of folks think it's better to quit than to be fired, you know? Roy says, yeah, but going back there today, there's part of me thinking maybe I should have stayed and just enjoyed myself. Uh, but that's not who I am, I guess, said Ted. Not yet. And yeah. a little self-reflection from Ted. This is a really interesting scene, right? This is the end of the show, end of the, this episode anyway. Ted saying a lot of folks think it's better to be quit or better to quit than to be fired, which we know is the antithesis of how he feels, right? Like he doesn't quit things. We know that. But maybe his head is just not great right now. Maybe he's thinking about like where he goes in this journey. And you also get Roy very introspectively, Dan, just like, why can't I enjoy things? Why do I always have to be so me all the time, you know? And that that means a lot to him because it's his relationship. It's the way that he functions around other people. Like, he he's just insecure as fuck. Yeah. yeah. Well, we might continue to see the growth of this character, though, now that the realization moment has hit very early on from this for him this season. Again, the earlier it hits in the season, the more opportunity there is for the writers to take that individual down a journey and uh, we're here for it hmm. wow um well we're gonna take a quick break when we get back we still have all off the pitch obviously on the pitch stole the show was the bulk of it so uh thank you to the sponsors for supporting the show and we'll be right back all right that's ready here we go off the pitch the workplace stuff there's a bit not a lot but you know some stuff did happen so uh look we got to see a lot more about kjpr keely's office uh, where her and Barbara, obviously a lot of friction between them, Nick. Pretty obvious when you've got a creative versus the, the CFO, mm -hmm. a.k.a. the finance person, very black and white, and kind of just struggling to make the workplace fun. Um, it seems like she's the only employee, right? And that the the investors brought in everybody else. So it's like her and then this this other company's people. Yeah, it's odd because like the, the way they framed it at the end of season two is is that Keely was going to be back to start her own PR firm. And, and you would think starting your own PR firm would mean that you'd bring in your people uh, to help you. Um, and it's very clear that the venture capital firm has just placed a bunch of like, you know, PR type folks in an office and it's just dead in there. It's like the anti Keely workplace vibe, very sullen and downtrodden and quiet and. Uh, you know, she's trying to gin everybody up and, and leaves by saying, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And they kind of all look at each other uh, like the uh, talentless fucks that they are and calling them all out uh, and ask themselves, what what would she do? What wouldn't she do? What's what is she saying? Um, and, and then we get her back in her comfort zone. Right, Dan, we get her at the photo shoot. We get her doing her job. But we also see that Ted has sent her a text about the breakup. We. Uh, see that she meets an old model friend of hers. And I thought this was a pretty cool part of the episode, actually, because it shows us a little, you know, we like we learned a little bit about Rebecca, Rebecca's backstory. And we also learned a little bit about Keeley's backstory, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was the what 
it was like the sliding doors moment where mm-hmm. you understood like where would Keeley's life have gone if she continued dating the original version of Jamie versus breaking off, getting in with Roy, leaving Roy, getting connected with Rebecca, starting her own work, getting out of the modeling as a primary function for her. And she's now on the other side of the camera. Her friend Shandy is still on the front of the camera, but also is able to give some recommendations to cut some costs or trim some corners as it relates to uh, not going over budget on the production of a, a goat slash sheep drinking milk uh, or drinking something that was going to transform it. <laughs> yeah. Sh- Shandy says, and you know, they were kind of talking back and forth. She says enough about me. I saw you in vanity fair, fully clothed. And I cried. Uh, I'm so proud of you, babe. We all are. And Keely's like, what proud of me? Why? And Shady says, because you made it out all by yourself. And this, this to me, Brandon, kind of signals that their, their, their group of friends were pretty dependent on the like social construct that they lived in at that time to kind of have a comfortable life. And that Keeley's like the, like a bright, shiny beacon that you can kind of go do whatever the hell you want to do. And I thought that was a very interesting vibe because Keely clearly does not see herself as like a role model, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, caught off guard big time. Um, yeah. You know, and, and like you said, there's so many parallels. She was going to get married to a footballer, but her friends did. Clearly, it was just kind of the path that people mm-hmm. that she grew up with took, and she kind of broke that out. So um, really interesting. So we'll see. Um Question. Do we think that Shandy is going to be a friend or a foe? I could see it going either way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you, friend s- me. you start with good intentions and like cool opportunities happen, and then maybe like the selfishness takes over again because she is doing really cool stuff. But uh, next up was Rebecca, then getting a quick call from her mom, FaceTime. Uh, per usual, it's a wacky exchange, but Rebecca's mom does say something a little peculiarly. She says, "Quote: I spoke to Tish the other day. Her psychic." And she's agreed to consider meeting with you. And Rebecca says, wow, your psychic has actually agreed to let me pay her a lot of money if I to speak with her. Amazing. She says, well, no, she's considering it, but I think you meeting with Tish would be perfect because, well, you know, you're in desperate need of some maternal guidance, says her mom. <laughs> Do we think Rebecca will go? Is this Rebecca's mom's way of acknowledging that she's not mater- maternal influence in her life? weird to me right like and we've like seen glimpses in season two like it seems a little lightweight it seems pretty flimsy this psychic ability it's a it's a little it's a little interesting because i could definitely see it happening i mean this show is just off the rails enough that you see rebecca talking to this tish person and who knows what'll happen hope not. feels like a good opportunity to get like a high-powered guest star into a, a one-time role or appearance like that's sure. what it feels like we're about to see at some point like whoopi goldberg or someone that'd be amazing <laughs> uh kudos to keely we're playing her role of gaia from star trek <laughs> the next generation okay that's the crossover we didn't need dan uh kudos to keely uh as we jump back um because she brought shaney back to the office and hired her uh, Barbara, the CFO is, gives her a quick interview. Doesn't go well, uh, pretty much breaks it down. Cause he like, why are you being rude? And they have a moment and kudos to Keely. Like I said, because not, I think a lot of us would just would fight, you know, we'd fight our way out of that situation. She doesn't, she reaches out and 
uses the snow globes as a way to connect on a human level with her. And um, it really opens up a whole new door, you know. And again, it's just not how most people would have handled it. She started a little confrontational, Nick, but then she very quickly kept her empathy approach front and center. Yeah, so Keely notices this, like, shelf of snow globes. Dozens. It's like, kind of, yeah, it's just a weird, like, okay. But, you know, know, like you said, Keely has the highest EQ on the on the whole show right so she she does kind of reason with barbara and says uh yeah sure shandy doesn't have the experience but she's smart she's eager i believe in her like the firm must believe in you to send you all over the world to all these lovely places where the snow globes are from right and maybe you and i can see how good it feels to believe in someone else then barbara comes back and says client relations coordinator that's her title and then keely does the funny like door closing thing oh good just in case you didn't realize, I totally made up that fake title that I made up before and then closed the door. And it's, uh, you know, again, it's it's kind of showing Keely growing into this foreign space that she's not used to. She's not used to being in a corporate environment. She's used to being around a fucking football team and all the lunacy that happens in professional sports. This is a whole different buttoned up type of vibe. Hmm. Yeah. Very, very Ted of her, though. Mad. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would say she kind of get the she's a consultant. Clearly, she gets shipped around from like place to place, and and that was her thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm excited. She seems like she's gonna grow so much. I just need them to get back together. Really, just just make my life happy, Ted Lasso. Thank you. I don't know if it's gonna happen. What about the main theme? We went with a bit of introspection here, right? It's clear that many of our just a bit. Many, it's clear that many of our characters are still on a journey of self-discovery. Whether it's Ted wondering about his own worth as a coach, Roy confronting his own insecurity, Rebecca confronting the path that led her to Rupert, and Keely confronting her anxiety while finding comfort in friends, or maybe the team hoping for a false idol, Zava, to save them. Will we see answers soon? Back to my three-episode review. Would sure love some, because right now we're just we're just demoing the house, and I don't see where the repairs are coming in. Uh, it's it's going to be, uh, I think, a pretty interesting next few episodes because, like, we we broke season two down into it was basically a season of thirds: first four episodes, second four episodes, third four episodes. Kind of all had their own narrative arcs. I'm wondering if this this is going to kind of function that way. And that by the end of arc one, i.e. the fourth episode, that we have something a little bit more clear as a pathway. If this is indeed the last season, which I'm still not a thousand percent sure of, by the way, um, then they're going to have to start building bridges pretty quick here. You know? Yeah. Only 10 episodes left. So only (laughs) here we go. Uh, How about that Crown and Anchor pub trivia? Weird questions and observations from Senor Nicholas. What do you got? Hola, Brandon. Um, what is the location of the most famous or the most in-focused snow globe on uh, Barbara's table? Um, this uh, place was also mentioned in episode one. And I think we're going to see an episode take place in this location as well. Uh, question two. There is an artist in Ted's breakup playlist that was mentioned in season two. That's right. You're going to have to do some digging on this one. Who is it? And what is his favorite song of theirs? Uh, Number three, what kind of sponsor does Isaac want Keeley to find for him? Pretty general stuff here, if you can believe it or not. Uh, Question number four, 
in what way do we first get introduced to Zava? It's a, again, you heard it earlier. If you're paying attention, very strange. And then finally, what is the title of the soccer book that Ted is reading and scares the hell out of Beard by reading? Boom, hit us at Pod Underdogs. We, we're happy to let you know you how you out. did. Stack. And on Spotify, too. If you're a Spotify listener, we're putting one of the questions in the episode. Yeah. It's very cool little function. Yeah, for most stuff. Um, all right, winner, winner, football dinner. Who won the episode? You overachievers, you two. Not only did you agree, which was kind of mildly annoying, uh, you <laughs> knew exactly who one, two, three was. Is this collusion, Dan? No, but I think uh, you've been look, paid off. I think show. I think you were paid <laughs> off by Nick after the last couple discussions. A little, little brown envelope. <laughs> Maybe make it a big yeah. brown envelope. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, when Nick when Nick slides you a brown envelope, it's pretty thin, and it's usually filled with uh, some of those flies that uh, uh, fly out of a wallet when an animated character. Barcelona-sized envelope there, Dan? <sighs> Boom! Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, it was Rebecca. It was Rebecca, hands down. The sour yell is what pushed her over the edge at the very end of it, but just the way that she sub Rupert, the willingness to be open with, with Keeley, the ability to kind of recognize what her team needs and how to go be, get out of her comfort zone to go make it happen for them, to do the right thing for all the people around her had, had to be number one. And I think the Roy Trent as the second and third is just perfect. Nick I really have to commend you on this. It's a great job by you. Many people are saying this is the best one, two, three that could have been selected. Uh, well, I believe so. And, uh, you know, Rebecca taking control of her own destiny, I, I agree, is number one. But, man, Roy had a hell of an episode, too. And Trent being back, I don't know what it was, but it just makes you feel good. He is such an interesting character in the show. And his presence alone, like he he barely talks in this episode, but his presence alone uh, inspires people around him to do things like he, he kind of has that sort of swag to him. So welcome back, Trent. Uh, we're not giving away a bronze medal in this episode. Rebecca clearly does win it, but, uh, for me, uh, yeah, good to have Roy and Trent back and I'm glad they squashed their beef. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, it, there were definitely some big wins on it for sure. I think you guys nailed it. Obviously in this one, um, Rebecca's on the board. All right, is our running tally. Mm -hmm. And who would have thought it would be Rebecca and Rupert tied after two episodes? Ooh. Oh, boy. Here we go. I don't know. Just kind of tells you what kind of a season this is going to be, if this is how we're starting. So, uh, wow. I'm, I'm thrilled. But let us know. All right? Let us know what you think. That's it for this episode of The Underdogs. Again, you can let us know at Pod Underdogs on social media to continue the chat. Let us know what you thought. Um, submit your Crown and Acre Pub trivia. Who did you think was the winner, winner of football dinner? Did we get it right? I mean, we got three names on the board. Surely one of them right. Uh, and if you would be so kind, if you're still listening, go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It goes a long way to help other Ted Lasso heads find us. It would mean the world to us. So guess what? We're out. But don't worry. We'll be back for episode three. Have fun.